0: Mark chapter 1, as we continue our study through the book of Mark at lightning speed. <laughs> it's been eight weeks, we've covered less than 40 verses. Praise the Lord, huh? We start today in verse 35, and it says, And early in the morning... While it was still dark, Jesus arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. And Simon and his companions hunted for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Then let's go somewhere else, to the towns nearby, in order that I may preach there also, for that is what I came to do. And he went into their synagogues throughout all of Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. Father, this morning, as we open up your word, we do it with a grateful heart, knowing that through it you speak to us, in it you remind us of your goodness and your blessings, in it you remind us of who you are making us to be by conforming us into your son's image, in your word you remind us of your glory and your holiness and your attributes, and in it you remind us about spiritual priorities. And this morning, we would ask that we would so be open to your word and the principles thereof and the teaching of your Holy Spirit that we would be willing in a day to reorganize our lives, to make you a priority, to make time spent with you, seeking with you, communing with you, loving you, worshiping you, receiving from you, hearing from you, gaining direction and directive from you, that we as your people, as your congregation, would make that a priority. And so this morning... Soften our hearts, open up our minds and our spirits to the realities and the possibilities of life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many would agree, would testify to the statement that we are very, very, very busy people? Anybody? <laughs> amen. Right. Everybody raises their hand. Even some of you have seen raise your hand, and I know you're not that busy, but... In this world today, there seems to be a general tenor of busyness. No matter what we do or what we don't do, it seems that it is always busy, 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 go, go, go. We thought that technology would simplify our lives, didn't we? We thought the email, oh, email, it's the greatest. We'll get email. We'll never have to go anywhere again. We're going to save time. We don't have to call people. We can communicate at any time of day. Email, what a time saver that's going to be. That was a lie from the pit of hell. Email, what a time consumer that is. Oh, cell phones, what a wonderful blessing these will be. Once I have a cell phone, I can call people on the run. I won't be on the phone when I'm home anymore. I could accomplish so much more. Is that true? gee whiz, I'd like to burn that thing. It makes me 10 times busier. I like the old days. You guys probably remember them. Um, I barely remember them. Some of you remember them. The old days, when we had just normal phones, no cell phones, just normal phones, and no answering machine. What a God-blessed time that was in God's dispensations. That was wonderful. Amen. Amen. If you were home, then they got a hold of you. If not, then they had to rely upon Jesus Christ. Oh, wonder and glory. (laughs) And so because life has gotten so unbelievably busy and more so with technology, we find ourselves continually having to prioritize our activities to make priorities in life. And we all make decisions that reflect our values and manifest themselves as our priorities. We all do this continually, either consciously or unconsciously. Even if you don't think about it, you're setting priorities. Now here's what it seems like, because I'm just like you, I know this is what it seems like. It seems as though we don't have time for anything. But in reality, we have time for anything that is important to us. Listen to me now. I know how it is because I'm just like you. It seems we don't have time for anything. But in reality, we have time for anything that is important to us or said differently. We do what we want to do, don't we? If we really love it, if it's really important to us, if it's really something we want to do, we always seem able to make time to do it, to figure out a way. But as we begin to choose one thing over another and lay one thing aside and exalt one thing to this place and give priority to that and put that on the back burner, there is always going to be a sacrifice involved. Something's got to go something will be sacrificed. Now it's very interesting as we speak about sacrifice in the spiritual sense, the way that Noah Webster in Webster's dictionary defines it. He defines it like this. It's a blank page as you open up to the dictionary there. Thank you. Forgoing something valued for the sake of something having a more pressing claim. Think about that now. Forgoing something valued for the sake of Something having a more pressing claim. Now, in our text today, Jesus establishes a priority in his life and then makes a sacrifice. He establishes a priority and in turn makes a sacrifice, right? Those two terms down, they're gonna be very important this morning and in your life from henceforward. Jesus makes a priority And he makes a sacrifice. Think about the day that we've been studying the last three weeks. We studied one day in the life of Jesus. It was a Sabbath day, which for the Jews then was our Saturday. And that was the day that they would worship and go to synagogue. Think about the day he had. No doubt he got up in the morning, and as he went to synagogue to fellowship with the other Jews and to worship the Father, there he found himself the teacher, Church is infinitely more challenging when you are the teacher. Let me tell you, it takes a little bit more work. There was Jesus teaching that day and then in the midst of a sermon, a demon speaks through this man and Jesus casts out the demon. Now, don't you suppose that after that church service, many people had many questions and were very interested in talking to him? Now, what were you teaching about? And was that really a demon? And wow, you had tremendous authority over the demon. And so I'm sure after church, Jesus was just talking to these Jews forever, forever, forever. And then Simon Peter said, hey, come over to Andrew and I's house and let's fellowship, we'll have the Sabbath meal together. And so Jesus, no doubt thinking, oh, this is great. It's been a long day already, I'm hungry, goes to Peter's house. And there Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And it says that immediately Peter and Andrew begin to speak to Jesus about her. So once again, a need is presented. Jesus, my mom, she's sick, man, she's all jacked up. She's got a fever. Can't you do something about it? And so Jesus raises her up and she begins to serve them, no doubt making for them the Sabbath meal by now it is evening the sun has gone down everyone's had a big long sabbath day and then it says in the text that we looked at last week that all the people of the town came to the door of peter's house and everybody was there and they brought those who were sick and those who were possessed by demons and those that had many needs and they brought them to jesus and there was jesus into the late hours of the night for sure Casting out demons, healing the sick, teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God, ministering to the people. Man, it's been a long Sabbath day. I'm positive. Now, if ever there was a day when somebody should sleep in, it would have been the day after that Sabbath that Jesus had. If ever there was a day to just turn off the alarm or even hit the snooze button a few times, Jesus, you deserve a break today. Just sleep in tomorrow. Don't you know that Jesus in his humanity got tired? Is that true or false? He got tired. Didn't he get into the boat one time and they went out and Jesus fell asleep and he was sleeping right through the storm? That was not deception. In his humanity, in all the ministry, his physical body became tired. Oh, Jesus, sleep in tomorrow. But then on the other hand if ever there was an opportunity you know, he's just getting started in the ministry and now they're just banging down the door. It's as if every single person in Carpinteria and Santa Barbara and Ventura and everyone came to this church one morning, they all wanted to get in and they all had needs. We would be slightly overwhelmed, but we would say, wow, this is a great problem. This is a wonderful opportunity to minister. And so all the people were coming. So on the next day where I'm sure a normal person would have slept in perhaps and maybe another ministry-minded person would have thought this is a great opportunity everybody is coming to us we get to minister to them and teach them the good news about the kingdom Jesus makes a decision sets a priority and hence a sacrifice what does it say he did and early in the morning how early while it was still dark some commentators say that that means 4am he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place And he was praying there, and Simon and his companions hunted for him. I am sure that the disciples thought at this point, Wow, Jesus, you're really missing out here. They wake up in the morning and I'm positive that the community was once there again at the door knocking, hey, we got some more demon-possessed people. We got some more sick people over here. We got some blind and some lame and we got some people that need some stuff. Where's Jesus? And Peter goes, oh man, I thought he'd be out there already. Gee, Andrew, where's, I don't know. Where? Hey. And so they go hunting for him. And the very term they're hunting, means they were actually looking around. They had to put some real effort into it hunting for him because they said everybody is looking for you. Everybody had an idea of what Jesus ought to be doing at that moment. Everybody had an opportunity to lay before him and wanted to make their life a priority. But Jesus got up before the dawn, crept away to a lonely place, and there he was praying. Now, by the very fact that they were hunting for him, and everybody was looking for him, means that by the time they found him, it was well into the middle of the morning, I'm sure. They've been looking for some time. Everyone has noticed that he's gone. Jesus has been up on the mountain praying. Now, in that decision, he will magnify the cost of that decision. He will magnify the stinging effect of that decision. He will demonstrate beyond doubt what his priorities are. Because when they find him, he says, let's then go into the other cities preaching because that is what I came to do. Listen to me. Jesus knew exactly what he was supposed to do. There was no question in his day. There was no ambiguity. When all the opportunities and all the situations and all the options presented themselves, he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He had received direction from the Father in the early morning before the dawn. Now, I ask you as my brothers and sisters, do you have clear direction for your life? In the broad scope, But in the narrow scope as well, in the daily things, do you know what is supposed to be priority? How you choose this option over another? How to discern between what is merely good and what is absolutely best for you to do? How to discern between the needs that present themselves and what God's calling is for your life? How to choose and discern between what men want you to do and what God the Father wants you to do? Do you know what that is? Do you have a clear idea? Do you have clear leading in the daily routine? Or are you like me so oftentimes, worried and bothered about so many things and all too often neglecting that which is most important? It's just me? Turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter ten, a very familiar account, one of my favorite little tidbits in the Bible here, or at least in the New Testament. It says in Luke chapter ten and verse thirty eight, Now as they were travelling along, Luke ten thirty eight, meaning Jesus and his disciples, as they were travelling along, Jesus entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who moreover was listening to the Lord's words seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things But only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Wow. Martha and Mary. Martha did a wonderful thing. Here's Jesus, and she invited Jesus into her home. There's no problem yet. That's a great thing to do. She invited Jesus into our home just as we as Christians have invited Jesus into our lives, into our hearts. No problem, it's wonderful. It is the right and the good thing to do. But then she got off track a little bit. Jesus was there in the midst in her house and it says very expressly in verse 40 that she was distracted by all of her preparations. All of her preparations. Her ideas of what was important. Her priorities. Her thoughts of what ought to come next. And because of it, we see that Martha was frustrated, exasperated, anxious, and angry. Has anybody ever been those things all at once? What a joy that is. Frustrated, exasperated, Anxious and angry. How frustrated, how exasperated, how anxious, how angry was Martha? Well, she began to yell at the God of the universe. That's how frustrated she was. (laughs) She says, Lord, don't you care? First of all, you can't say those two things in the same sentence. Lord, God who loves, God who cares, God who is in control. Lord, don't you care? And if you do, then let me tell you what to do, Jesus, just sitting around. You tell Mary to get her rear in gear. I'm doing all sorts of work. You tell her to get busy. Lord, don't you care? Uh Uh-oh. Stuff has gone horribly wrong. And yet I find in my own life, stuff often goes horribly wrong. I invite Jesus into my life, into my heart, into my world, and then I put him on the back burner, I put him in the closet. I get so distracted, so worried, so bothered by all of my own priorities, all of my own preparations. And then when life begins to go wrong, as it inevitably will when we don't seek first the kingdom of God, I get mad at God. God, why? Lord, don't you care? Tell somebody to help me. I'm all alone. That's stupid. Contrast, Martha with Mary, oh, Mary. It says in verse 39, Mary was listening to the Lord's word, just sitting at his feet, just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to everything and anything he had to say, just communing with him, just being with him. And Jesus said concerning this, in verse 42, there are only a few things necessary, really only one. And Martha has chosen the good, or I'm sorry, Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Mary did that which was most pleasing to the Lord, even though there was other stuff to do. There's always other stuff to do, isn't there? We need to begin to spend time with the Lord in such a way that we're able to discern between good and best, between our desires and God's desires. Listen, there is no question in my mind that Martha had good intentions, She had every intention of serving the Lord and pleasing the Lord and doing things right. What she was doing, she did for the Lord. She had a good work ethic. She was working very hard, but she was doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. And the lesson learned is when Jesus is in your home, stop what you're doing, be seated at his feet and listen to his word. And he said that that is the one thing that is necessary, the thing that we ought to give priority to. Martha, like you and I so often, had wrong priorities. Mary had a very real idea. She had to forego some stuff, Mary did. She didn't get to participate in making the meals. She didn't get to do all that work and all that other stuff. But she got to receive from the Lord and begin to enact a life of intimacy. Don't you know why Jesus died on the cross? He died that we might have an intimate love relationship with him. Yes or no? Absolutely. He did not die for religion. He didn't die so that when we go to heaven, we might just see this far off God that we've heard of through sermons once in a while. He died that we might have an intimate love relationship with him now and further expressed when we go to heaven and are glorified and see him in all of his glory. Don't you, when you get to heaven and see Jesus, want to see him as a friend that you have known for years as opposed to the one about whom you merely heard of? When I get to see him face to face, I want to recognize with him. I want to connect with him in that I have already been communing with him in this lifetime. And that is what Jesus died on the cross to do. He had to remove our sins to make it possible. That is why he shed his blood and was a sacrifice for us. But let's not give in to the idea of religion And let's certainly not fall into the routine of just normal daily life. Yes, the Lord is in my life. I'm a Christian. Just as Martha said, he is in my home. But then being distracted by so many other things, we've got to begin to check our priorities and readjust our lives. And the Christian life, as we endeavor to live it out in this world, is always going to come down to priorities, friends. There's always going to be decisions you have to make and decisions that create a sacrifice. You're going to have to put one thing in front of another. And by the very way that Jesus spoke of the Christian life, this isn't going to be easy. He said, if anybody wishes to come after me, let him exalt himself. Is that what he said? Please tell me you know what he said. If anyone seeks to come after me, let him please himself. Is that what he said? If anybody wishes to come after me, let him buy a lot of stuff. Is that what he said? I wish he said it. That's not what he said. If anybody wants to come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross daily. If anyone wants to follow Jesus Christ, the call is that we must deny ourselves, that is, our fleshly, worldly nature and our fleshly, worldly desires that so often get the better of our schedule. Mary's priority, I'm sure, to Martha, seemed like a waste. Didn't it? Isn't that how Martha sounded? Mary, what are you doing? You're sitting there. There's so much work to do. You're wasting time. But Martha's idea... Of serving the Lord in priority left her frustrated, exasperated, anxious, and angry. I want you to see one more occasion with these two women as we turn now to John chapter 12, an event that took place sometime later. John chapter 12. starting in verse 1. This is immediately after Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead, who is Martha and Mary's brother. It says in John 12, verse 1, Jesus therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper, and Martha was serving. Surprise, surprise. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Wow. He had been raised from the dead. He'd had a radical experience with Jesus Christ. I mean, he was dead. His own sister said, Lord, it's been four days. By now, he stinketh." He was dead, 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 dead. And in response, he's reclining at the table with Jesus. Now look at Mary in verse 3. Mary, therefore never one to be outdone in intimacy with the Lord, took a pound of very costly perfume of Pyrinard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Listen to this. Listen to what she did. She came to the feet of Jesus and she poured out very costly perfume. I think I've read somewhere that it was probably worth 11 months wages. 11 months' wages. For some of us, that's a lot of money. For others, it's almost nothing. But she poured it out at the feet of Jesus, everything that she had. Possibly her dowry, commentators say. She just came to the Lord and knelt down at at his feet and just poured out costly things at his feet. And what does it say she did there? Wiped his feet with her hair. Have you ever seen the feet of a first century Jew? No, you never have. But I am positive they were filthy. They wore sandals in those days. Was there pavement yet? Not in the sense that we think of. Most roads were dirt. Oh, his filthy feet. She began to wipe and wash his feet with her hair and pour out the perfume in just an act of worshiping the Lord. Here she is once again seated at the Lord's feet. What a wonderful life. What a wonderful priority Mary had in life. At every possibility, she capitalized on the reality of being with her Savior. Now, just as Martha complained in that first instance, we have a complainer in this second occasion. Let's look in the next verse. Verse 4. But Judas, 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 but Judas, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer it when the money was put onto it, put into it. Now look at this contrast. Contrast. Martha, worshiping at the feet of the Lord. I'm sorry, Mary, 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 worshiping at the feet of the Lord. Once again, somebody complains. Judas, listen to me, saints. The enemy, the betrayer, when you begin to give priority to Jesus in your life is always gonna come and declare it to be a waste. Always, When you endeavor and get to get up early in the morning as Jesus did, when you endeavor to sacrifice some stuff, some good times, some work, some finances, whatever it is, when you choose to sacrifice to give priority to Jesus Christ and exalting Him and communing with Him in your life, the enemy, the betrayer, the accuser, the father of lies is always going to come in and declare, that's a waste of time. You ought to be doing this, you ought to be doing that, you ought to be doing this, and so on and the other. Haven't you noticed that when you... begin to pray you remember everything you've ever forgotten that you were supposed to do haven't you noticed that oh i'm gonna pray now i'm really gonna press into the lord i mean i'm really gonna take some time and just press into the lord and then you begin to remember oh man back on june 12th i didn't call that person back and oh my goodness i was supposed to do that and what about this and you know i really should fix that shingle on the outside of the house and what about this and that and the other Our flesh, the world, the enemy, whatever it is, whenever we seek to press into the Lord, there is so much that would want to pull us away. That is why we have to make it a stated, scheduled priority in the Christian life to spend time with Jesus Christ. It has to be. If it's not scheduled, it won't happen. Do you understand? We schedule everything else. I have this stupid cell phone. Has anybody ever seen my cell phone? It's not stupid. Somebody gave it to me as a gift, but it's stupid and that it's also a Palm Pilot. And so when someone says, hey, do you want to do something on this and such a day? I go, oh, well, hold on. And I open it up and I bring up the calendar and I look and I could see, well, I could be busy that day. I'm not sure. And I go, wait, what if there's surf that day? And then it has a tide chart on it. So I go to another little page in this electric pond and I say, oh, I don't know. The tides are really good that day. The waves may be good. And then I pick up the phone again and say, I don't think I can make it. We schedule everything. We carry around Palm Pilots and calendars and all this stuff and it syncs up to my Microsoft Outlook and it's like a living nightmare. We schedule everything. But are we scheduling time to spend with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? You see, it was a priority in the life of Jesus. Jesus himself got up before the light and went up on the mountain to be all alone with his Father. I don't know why exactly I mean he was Jesus why did he have to pray I'm not exactly sure but I know this if Jesus made prayer in communion with the father a priority being himself part of the Trinity how much more should you and I and if he is our example for life and conduct how foolish are we when we don't If Jesus, after the busiest day, a day the sort of which you and I have never had, rose up at 4 a.m. and went up on the mountain, how much more should we be willing to? If Jesus was willing to sacrifice all the demands and all the opportunities of the people to forego those things just to be with the Father, how much more should you and I... If you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus was continually praying, continually communing with the Father. In Luke chapter 3, it was the beginning of his ministry and we see him praying. In Mark chapter 1, as he was taking his ministry to new places, once again, he's praying. In Luke chapter 6, he prayed all night before the naming of the 12. In John chapter 6, he prayed during the feeding of the 5,000. In Matthew 14, he was up on the mountain praying before he walked on the water and calmed the storm. In John chapter 11, he he prayed before he raised Lazarus from the dead in Mark chapter 14 there at the last supper he's praying again in Matthew 26 in the garden of Gethsemane he's praying again and in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 the Bible declares that he ever lives to make intercession for you and I So during his time here on earth, Jesus was continually praying and communing and now seated at the right hand of the Father. He ever lives to make intercession for you and I. The sermon, the Bible study, the message, the lesson should stop right there. We should all be obedient little Christians and say, if Jesus prayed and got up and sought the Lord God, his Father, how much more ought to I? Don't say anything more, preacher boy. It's done. Let's just go home and seek the Lord. Right? Amen? Amen? Shouldn't it be that way? It ought to be. But we often miss that. We often do just what Martha did and begin to ignore the Lord in our lives. Now the disciples, think about the disciples. Gee whiz, if there was ever some hard-headed guys, I'm sad for the day that I get to heaven and see those guys. I've talked so much trash about them from the pulpit. But I mean, really, these guys were thick-skulled. The Bible says that God uses the foolish things of the world, but they were almost overboard. Listen, they missed everything. Jesus had to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. But there is one thing that they never, ever missed. And all the stuff that they missed, there's one thing they never missed. That the secret to Jesus' life and ministry was that he spent time alone with the Father in prayer. How do I know they didn't miss the reality of that? Because there's not a single thing recorded in all of the Bible that the disciples requested Jesus Christ to teach them other than prayer. In Luke chapter 11, verse one, Jesus is once again praying and the disciples come and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. They had seen a lot of stuff. They'd seen Jesus raise people from the dead. I would have asked for that one maybe. They seen Jesus do this and that and the other and walk on water. I'd be the best surfer in the world if I could walk on water. That's what I would have asked Jesus. Jesus, teach me that whole walk on water gig. What about the time they needed money to pay taxes and Jesus told Peter, go down, cast a line in, and the first fish you catch, open his mouth and take out some money and pay the taxes. I would have asked the Lord to learn that one. Lord, teach me that whole fishing gig with the money in the mouth of the fish. A lot of things they could have asked the Lord. The only thing they ever requested was that he would teach them how to pray. Even these hard-headed guys did not miss the fact that in the life of Jesus Christ, prayer and communion with the Father was a priority. Now, here's what I've begun to learn in my Christian life. Either I make that a priority, or I get like Martha, frustrated, exasperated, anxious, and angry. There's so much going on in the world. I'm such a mean man in my flesh, so arrogant, so wrong. If I don't seek the Lord, if I don't spend time with the Lord, I get just like Martha. I start yelling at the Lord and everyone around me. Can anyone testify? (laughs) That's a lot of hands. Gee whiz. Yes, it's true. The busier we get, though, the more we need to be with the Lord. He is the shepherd of our souls. It is he who leads us beside still waters into green pastures. The psalmist said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, there is a good test. The moment I begin to want, I need to ask myself, am I allowing the Lord to shepherd my life? Am I spending time with the Lord? Because when I'm in want and I became covetous and all these other things, I know that I'm not spending intimacy with the Lord in the way that I need to. Charles Spurgeon said this, it's a good rule never to look into the face of a man in the morning until you've looked into the face of God. It's a good rule never to look into the face of a man in the morning until you've looked into a face of God. Amen, hooray and hurrah. I wish we would all do that as Christians, but we're busy. Listen, John Wesley. Anybody know who John Wesley was? If you're a Christian, you should find out. A tremendous Christian. It is said that he preached over 40,000 sermons in his lifetime. It is said that he traveled almost 30,000 miles in doing so on horseback and by buggy, carriage, whatever you want to call it. He wrote grammatical and theological books in four different languages. What an amazing guy. And yet, he always made time to spend with the Lord. In fact, when he was very young, some of our ages here, he made a declaration that he would spend an hour every morning and an hour every evening seeking the Lord in prayer and in Bible study. Next week, we're going to do a study particularly and specifically on prayer and some practical help for prayer. But listen to what he would do. Just an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening and look at the fruit of his life. Now, is there anyone here as a Christian who wants to be fruitful in your Christian walk? Raise your hand. All of us. Then we must begin to make spending time with the Lord a priority. Even Jesus gave us that example. Luther, Martin Luther said this, I have so much to do today that I will never accomplish it unless I pray for at least three hours. That sounds backwards in our mind. We so often, we would never say it like this. We would never say it this way. I've got so much to do, I don't have any time to pray. We wouldn't say that, but we live that and that we don't. I am the most guilty of all. I've got a million things to do. I get up and I get going. You know what I have to do? I have to do this. I have to get up before the light because I am so type A, I'm so anal, freaky, weird, busy guy that the moment it is sunlight, I've got 50 million things to do and I want to do them all in the next hour. And so the Lord began to teach me long ago when I read this verse in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, realizing that Jesus got up before the light. I said, I'm gonna do that. And I started doing 4 a.m.s in my life where I just get up at 4 a.m. and seek the Lord. Now, it's ebbed and it's flowed, you know what I mean? There's been good times and there's been bad times. My wife, to change the subject, is on a good time right now. She has endeavored every morning of her life to get up at 6 a.m. because she knows our son Isaiah wakes up at about 7.30, And so she knows if she could get up at 6 a.m., she has an hour and a half of uninterrupted time with the Lord. And can I just testify on behalf of my wife how wonderful life is when she's been spending time with the Lord? (laughs) And she would tell you how wonderful life is when I've been spending time with the Lord. We should never look into the face of our spouses before looking in the face of God in the morning. Psalm 5, verse 3 says, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning, I will direct it to you. I will look up. And then Psalm 55 says, as for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me evening and morning and noon. So which one is it? The psalmist says he's going to seek the Lord in the morning, and then he says in the afternoon and in evening. Here's what Hudson Taylor said, that great missionary to China. He said, whatever is your best time of the day, give that to communion with God. When are you at your best? When would be the best time for you to be with Jesus? Schedule him in at that time. Don't we do that with the people that we love? People call me and, hey, I'd like to meet with you, and I want to schedule them in at the very best time. Schedule Jesus in at your very best time, be at any time whatsoever. Jesus did it in the early morning. That seems to be a good time for me because I'm such a wretch. If I walk out the door without speaking a little bit to the Lord, I'm going to offend somebody. But the key to our devotional life, to quiet time, is consistency. Because wouldn't you agree that we consistently need to hear from the Lord? Jesus received direction for his ministry. Don't you consistently need to be encouraged by the Spirit of God? Consistently given direction? Consistently being rebuked by him? Gee whiz, I sure do. Consistently learning from his word and gleaning from him. And so it says in Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. And that's what Jesus did up on the mountain. Nobody else around. He went to a lonely place and just communed with the Lord. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 15 says, In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. He said to the nation of Israel, as they are running around doing a million things trying to save themselves, quietness before me shall be your strength. And in Isaiah 40 It says, even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I'm just gonna issue a challenge. I think we're out of time. And we'll pick it up again next week. We're gonna talk about prayer and fasting i being quiet before the Lord next week. But I want to give you a, um, what's it called? Challenge, but what's it called when you go to school and they make you actually do stuff? Assignment. And then what's it called also? A lab in college, when you get to college. You have a class and it has a lab, never take those. Those are horrible. It's much better just to read it in a book and write it on a test. When you actually have to do something, it gets very difficult. But I'm gonna give you a lab, if you will, an assignment, a challenge of some sort. Just every day this week, Monday till next Saturday, just set your alarm for half an hour earlier. Half an hour earlier. We always said to the last very minute. If we don't, we've mastered the snooze button. Okay, I've got six snoozes till I really have to get up. Set it just half an hour earlier and just get up, have a little place picked out, prepare it the night before. Prepare it the night before, have your little Bible there. Put the coffee maker with the alarm on it, you know. So it's just, the moment you you smell it in the morning, you just get up and, and just stumble over to the coffee thing, sit down in that place, and just begin to pray, worship, and read. I don't care what you pray. I don't care how you worship. I don't care what you read. Just begin to do it. Well, read the Bible. <laughs> Choose a book. Read it consistently this week. Begin to speak to God. Make that the priority in your life for one week. Listen to me now, everybody, everybody. Make that the priority in your life for one week before you do anything else. And you tell me how your life changes. You tell me how your perspective changes. You tell me how he turns your world right side up. Tell me how your attitude changes. Tell me how your heart towards God and others change if you do that. Do you want to take that challenge? I'll do it. I ebb and flow, but I'll do every day this week. Shall we do it together? Let's stand. This is a horrible moment in the life of the church. When we stand and make a promise to actually follow through on something together. We will make no covenants because God continually punishes his people for breaking covenants, so we won't do that. We are just gonna say that we will endeavor to do this together. But when we do this, we need to do this expectantly. When you wake up in the morning, expecting God to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think or imagine. So lay a hand on the shoulder of the person next to you and we're gonna pray for each other. Lord, we come before you as a family and as we have knit ourselves together physically, we ask that you would knit us together spiritually and that this week you would do a congregational work in our midst. Congregational because it outflows through individual intimacy with you into the power and life of the congregation. And so, Lord, we just ask now that you would give us diligence to follow after the example that you set and to seek you this week, to hear from you, to commune with you to lay aside the busyness and the things of the world and say, Jesus, this week, I want to give you a priority. And Lord, we'll admit, we're going to do it expectantly. We're going to come before you and say, okay, Lord, we've made some sacrifices here. <laughs> Show me your glory. Give me direction for my life. Refine me, rebuke me, challenge me, encourage me, but speak to me, God. And now I ask it in Jesus' name, Lord, you would speak to each one here this week as I seek you. And you would do that wonderful work of refining and encouraging and building us up so that we would be a people who are more like you that we might lead more people to you and that we would simply fulfill that which you have called us to intimacy with you and out of that solitude would come a life that glorifies you and attracts a fallen world. So draw us into solitude this week into silence I know many of us are going through the wilderness and we're downcast we're going through all sorts of trials Bible declares if you're a Christian nothing comes into your life that hasn't passed through his sovereignty and I would submit to you that oftentimes he allows trials into our lives to get our attention because he wants to bless us if he's got your attention this week press into him in Jesus name Amen